You are listening to the award-winning The Young Jerks with Mike Crawford. New at 11, medical marijuana patients here in Connecticut are getting worried. Since the recreational sales begin, began in January, some say they can't find the products they need. And we spoke to one patient who buys her medical marijuana in Bristol. Channel 3's Eliza Krasinski joins us now live with her concerns. Brian, we spoke with one patient with a list of medical issues, and she relies on medical marijuana CBD oil. But since those recreational sales started back in January, she hasn't been able to find what she needs. This is a bad thing for a lot of people. This is scary for a lot of people. Amy has epilepsy, MS, and even won her battle with cancer. I have been clean of cancer with a simple lumpectomy for having breast cancer and I attribute it to this medication. She's been using CBD oil since it became legal in Connecticut, which she says is extremely effective in controlling her epilepsy. Without the CBD oil, that means that the seizures are going to get really bad, and this is terrifying. And she's one of many medical marijuana users who say since the recreational dispensaries opened up, it's been difficult getting the products they need. I'm screwed. I am in big trouble. Amy places orders quarterly from TrueLeave in Bristol. TrueLeave sent out a statement over the weekend saying in part, quote, we are painfully aware of the limited product inventory across the state of Connecticut right now and are working closely with all of our producers and growers to restock our supply as quickly as possible. Don't worry. You know, you are a medical patient. You will always come first. Do not fear. Other local dispensaries like Fine Fettle sent out a statement last week saying, quote, the medical menu has shrunk and is lacking options patients are used to seeing. All I can say that it's a plant and it takes time to grow. And what I am hearing and my message to, I guess, the growers right now is TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. The Department of Consumer Protection says they are aware of the patient's concerns and other dispensaries like Grower Cura Leaf in Stamford say they want the medical marijuana patients to know that they will continue to be prioritized. Live in the studio tonight, Eliza Krasinski, Channel 3 Eyewitness News. All right, Eliza, thank you. Welcome to the Young Jerks. It's Mike Crawford back tonight talking about Connecticut. Two new guests tonight first time on the show but i i've been following them for a while very excited to have uh, them on the show tonight we're gonna be talking about connecticut last night we talked about maine we usually talk about massachusetts but you're gonna see a lot of the same issues are in different states it's the same deal it's just uh different uh steps on the process that a lot of us are in uh maine like we covered last night is a lot different we're going to bring up the two guests right now, have them introduce themselves and then comment about this story in Connecticut where patients are being left behind. We got Kristen Sousa. Hey there. And Louis Rinaldi. I hope I said your names right, right? You did. You got my Great right. job, Mike. <laughs> yes, awesome. Usually I get them wrong, so that's good. So oh, you're I'll good, screw man. it up later, I'm sure. As the cannabis wears off, I'll... I'll... <laughs> We're off to so, a good start. We are. So let's go. Uh, Kristen, let's have you introduce yourself. Tell us about who you are, uh, you know, a little bit about your cannabis experience, and then 
tell us about you know what we just saw this this video from Connecticut where patients are being left behind. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Kristen Souza. I'm the founder of uh, Sugar Leaf Boutique, which is a hybrid boutique in Middletown. Um, so it's not a smoke shop, but it kind of caters to that type of demographic with a emphasis on women and other underrepresented groups in the cannabis industry. Um, I also work for Beth Waterfall Creative doing marketing and events for the cannabis industry in Massachusetts. Um, and I guess as far as my experience with cannabis, I mean, I kind of joke I'm a legacy custy. So uh, I've been around for a long time, but uh, yeah. So, um, and I, I guess to what you were saying in the video there, that is something that myself and Lou have been both speaking on for months now. Um, there were some stipulations with Connecticut before the rec market launched that there needed to be, uh, I think it was 250,000 square feet of cultivation and manufacturing space. And the way that the state of Connecticut set it up is that it was only going, well, we only have four growers. So we're already dominated by multi-state operators. And so that stipulation automatically gave them that advantage because they get to just come out the gate running. Um, and what we're experiencing right now is sometime in December, Theraplant was experiencing financial concerns. They were saying point in time that they weren't sure that they were going to remain solvent. And we're starting to see that now. Um, so that woman that was speaking on, you know, this is, you know, this is really devastating for patients and I can appreciate that. But, you know, part of me when she was saying to the growers, you know, tick tock, tick tock, I was cringing a little bit because the growers we have available to us are not fantastic. Um, one of them is experiencing problems. We've got Curaleaf, Theraplant. Uh, what are the other two live? Is Trueleaf one of them? We uh, truly has a retail location they retail and, only, okay. and they've, they've got a cultivation license now as well but they're not currently operating as a cultivator uh we've got gti in the form of Green advanced Pro labs and we've got verano in oh. the form of ct pharma so you the got best the, of the, best. the big the big cannabis like the worst ones yeah except for cure leaf cure leaf so, i mean uh true leaf's the only one that and they're, they're about to be on the list. Yeah. They're okay. dancing around. Yeah. That's this right. is just That's awful. Right. That's this is the problem, right? It's like uh the worst operators get in, and these poor patients are relying on them with all their right. debt. This right. message, like it, it it was this the first time that like Connecticut, you know, big media like did a story about this issue? Is this like the first one? Or do you think have there been some other coverage of this recently as you've been talking about this? Go ahead. So there's been uh, there's been a, a sort of a slow trickle. I think there's a lot of it's it's still very new here. You know, Mass has got like six plus however many years of uh, you know normalization of this kind of news cycle, and we're still at a point where the newscasters aren't even pronouncing the names of the companies correctly. So, you know, we're still we're crawling before we walk here in terms of, of at least in terms of the, the, the mass media. The good news is that uh, they're starting to catch on. In particular, you know, we've gotten some traction from the more investigative side of things. You know, the 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 journalists whose segments are typically like consumer advocacy and that sort of thing. Uh, we've gotten some good traction there. We've had a little bit of exposure of the message amplification of the signal, as I like to call it. But, uh, you know, we got a long way to go. We definitely have a long way to go. We don't really have a whole lot in terms of independent cannabis media that also has an investigative bent. 
and that allows me to uh you know belatedly say thank you mike for having us on i'm a big fan of your work big fan of your style uh the way you go about things it's been very inspirational to me and my personal journey as an advocate by the way, my name is Lou Rinaldi. <laughs> Thank you. I was just going to say that. You got yeah. to tell We're everyone. We're easing who you in are. funny. Lou, Lou Rinaldi. Yeah, yeah. It's all good. It's all I threw good. a topic at you. I threw this off. <laughs> yeah. No, so, you didn't. I did. I, I'm unconventional. I, I, you know, go ahead, Lou. Uh, just, you know, my, my story is basically I am a medical patient. I was uh, studying data science. Uh, as you know just a curiosity and I decided to you know do some digging where those two curves intersect and I started looking at the public data that was available from the state of Connecticut regarding the medical program and um, you know for better and for worse I ended up opening sort of a Pandora's box that I have yet to fully recover from or extract myself from <laughs> um, in terms of uncovering things that I didn't expect to see, discrepancies, malfeasance, um, and then leading into some freedom of information requests and, you know, coordinating with, with a couple of journalists. Uh, the, the two tips I give to anyone who's looking to get involved in advocacy in their state, you know, and is new to the effort, um, number one is familiarize yourself with your state's freedom of information laws. And number two is make friends with a good investigative journalist who's not afraid to speak truth to power and to, uh, you know, to shine a light on corruption and things like that. And those were really the two, the two levers that got me the most traction and started to move things in the right direction. But it's, it was a massive uphill climb because, you know, you're starting from a position of, you know, the four that we just mentioned have already been entrenched at that point. They've got a rhythm going, you know, they've got a whole, um, cycle of of uh business and and communication or or lack of communication i should say and and who is this who is this guy coming in here out of left field talking about you know lab testing and you know what are his credentials what's 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 he all about so there was a big uh run up in terms of being able to start getting that traction but to your question mike about you know do we get good coverage here we're getting there we're getting there and they're finally starting to try to talk to some of the right people uh, in terms of not just talking to the attorneys or the people with interests, you know, uh, financial stakes in these companies, but the patients, you know, the end consumer, the people who, with mold allergies, the immunocompromised, the people who are really negatively impacted by some of these things that we're experiencing right now. So, you know, we're, we're still in that crawl before we walk stage, like I said, but I feel like we're starting to make some good progress. And I think a lot of people are really waking up to some of the realities of what goes on as opposed to what they've been told by the regulator and the state and others. So it's, yeah. it's progress. It's forward progress. That's right. And I think um, what's so interesting to see is I'm glad you brought that up, the investigation part of it, because for so long, I felt like there was none of that. And more recently, even though there is like, like you said, the coverage is starting to get better in some respects, but I, I feel like there's been such an, I, I, I saw an opportunity both for what we were doing is to provide information that, you know, you're not going to see in the Boston globe or some of these other places or, you know, especially TV, local news. Right. Um, but I also feel like there's so many more like, I, especially on like Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook, even you're seeing like people find their little niche 
whether it's with mold, whether it's like the blacklist, whether it's, you know, people are, are finding their, you know, you're able to uh, share things to a wider audience on social media, I think. And it's a much more interesting life than being a total shill, you know, to be a suck up for big cannabis, which, you know, most people think that's the only way you can go. And I think more recently, people are realizing that there's actually a lot of opportunity in investigating big cannabis, investigating what's going on. That's really what I'm looking for. And I, I see both of you are doing it. Lou, I get a lot of information from you. And you're so right, too. Like, for me, especially, too, like the first story, even for Lorna. Once I had that first story, that first journalist write a serious story, it was like rolling a a huge rock down a hill at that point that ball just kept on rolling and and sometimes you just need one and i think that once you have one you know whatever issue it is you'll find more and i think over the years like i've been able to do that too i i work with so many journalists and a lot of times they're calling me now like you know before i would feed them stories but a lot of times they're just calling me and asking me what do you think about this or do you have any ideas or so you just gotta keep uh share the information, you know, I feel like sometimes uh, in the past, even with the mold issue with new England treatment access, there were people that were trying to hold it, all the information to themselves too tight. Like they were going to write a book later on it. Right. It's like, come on. And it's the worst way to do things. It's like, for me, I like to share information usually as soon as I can get get it, like on Twitter, on Facebook, especially when there's real people suffering. Yeah. And then you get, and then you get more information. When you share right. stuff, like if you share something really good from a whistleblower, there's probably three, four whistleblowers watching that. And one of them is probably going to call you later that night. Like That's right. So like, that's why you should share information and you shouldn't uh, try to hold it so tightly. And then you're going to get more reporters calling you, more politicians calling you. I mean, that's really the end game when the politicians and the, and the, you know, the policy deciders and, they're, they start following you. So I, I think, you know, I love that we're talking about this for other folks who are new and you want to do something, look in your backyard. What's going on at the dispensaries in your backyard? You know, talk to the workers, do FOIA requests. You know, there's so much you could be looking into, especially with the bigger brands. I mean, it's obvious. You guys have it. Uh, I feel like uh, Lou got a, a good portion now. Kristen, do you have something to say on any of this? No, I mean, I guess I'm just like nodding along, especially with the reporters picking up on it part. I don't know what shifted. Um, They're definitely paying attention to what folks are saying on Twitter and Reddit. And, you know, I've kind of made jokes. It's like, I don't know where the shift from don't listen to the idiots on the internet to like, oh, look at all these things we're seeing online. But those are prompting them. Um, Like that that letter from Fine Fettle, you know, regardless of how we feel about it, they kind of said, you know, we acknowledge what we're seeing online because patients coming out and sharing their story, I think that's the first step, right? Like, like you can't just yell into the abyss of the internet. I do always say your Instagram post isn't enough, but it's a fantastic start. And it's a really great way to get people that would have never heard you otherwise to hear you now. Um, you can harness the you know power of social media in great ways and get, you know, like you said, with the Lorna story that that snowballed in a fantastic way. That was the story to have snowball. And without people picking up on that in social media, that may not have happened that way. So lot of reporters on Twitter, especially, but LinkedIn too. But, you know, it's just, uh, it's interesting to see how one could turn into like 30. It's exactly. Right. 
Lou, what you know, are you? I'm yeah. sorry, Kristen. Go ahead. Uh, no, I'm just corroborating what you're saying. I think we're all agreeing tonight. This is going to be funny. We're, we're talking over each other to agree. That's <laughs> that's like. It's better than arguing, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Enthusiasm. Like, here, here. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, Mike, you made reference to working with uh, with legislators and politicians. And, you know, that's something that has taken on, I think, even uh, more importance here in Connecticut recently because of, you know, the story that you aired at the top here and th those kinds of things that are happening right now, you know, these sort of, um, I won't call them uh, unforeseen, but they are consequences of the adult use rollout, certainly, and they are having, uh, you know, tangible real world impacts on patients who, uh, like, like the the unfortunate one in that story who uh, was was clearly in, in in approaching a panicked state regarding you know not being able to source the meds that are needed to to manage her condition so it's uh it's one thing to come up with an idea but it's another thing to really effectively communicate and advocate for that idea and engage with the you know your legislators and start to turn it into something real and to take that idea and to take it to the next level and get it, you know, turned into a bill. And that's where, um, you know, working with Kristen has been great because she is the smartest kid in the room when it comes to uh, the, the political aspect of things. And she's also a much more uh, palatable communicator than myself. Let's, let's call it that. Uh, you know, she, she is kind of the, uh, the good cop to, to my bad cop in a sense. So, uh, and I guess that's a, a third piece of advice for advocates is, you know, find, <laughs> find folks who you're able to work well with and, you know, and focus on your goals, focus on the outcomes that you're trying to achieve. And then, you know, chart a course and just chunk out the work and get it done. And that's what, you know, it's been, it's been great, you know, taking this idea in particular, we've got this one notion of, you know, we've, we've, uh, we have a regulator here in Connecticut that is the Department of Consumer Protection. And within the department, there is the uh, Drug Control Division made up of former law enforcement who are responsible for cannabis in Connecticut. Um, that's a loaded statement in and of itself. But having said that, um, you know, we look at, well, as a regulator, you're, you're tasked with oversight. You're expected to, you know, take action as needed to keep things running in compliance with the regulations and running the way that they're supposed to go. And if you look at the history of actions taken by DCP from, a, from a, an oversight standpoint, there's been one product recall in over a decade of the whole program, the medical program, I should say. And the only reason that that happened in the first place was because one of the lab directors accidentally told on himself and, uh, you know, sort of forced the state's hand and the other thing that we saw last year was uh, enforcement actions against unlicensed operators, which is perhaps the most troublesome piece. Uh, you know, we we legalized cannabis, but really what we did was, you know, we we made it legal for you to give to put your money in certain buckets and not in others. So um, it's it's really troublesome to see. So if we're not expecting you know, great things out of a regulator. We don't have a cannabis control commission. We don't have sort of a dedicated independent body tasked with oversight. Um, you know, we have, we have the same 
uh, group that's responsible for for whether or not uh, you get a liquor license and you know and enforcing those kind of things. So uh, and gambling and that and, and that kind of stuff. So we lump cannabis in as a vice. We treat it as you know we 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 don't do anything in terms of um, priming the pump in terms of breaking the stigma. You know there was no kind of public messaging campaign. Uh, the, the only messaging that's out there is punitive and threatening in nature. You know, we got the highway billboards, don't roll up before you roll out, that kind of thing. Uh, so my, the, my point in saying all of this is, so if we're not expecting great uh, oversight from the regulator, then, then what do we do? And what we've proposed with this bill, I think it's a, a Connecticut House Bill 5539, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's the number. Um, it's, it's an act to create an ombudsman position within a different part of the state government that would not be under the purview of the regulator, uh, sort of checks and balances, sort of that classic American government notion of checks and balances. Love it. And yeah, it's, it, it, I was it's thinking, I was thinking we may have to do the same thing with the cannabis control commission of Massachusetts, like, you know, come up with a second group to, you know, change, especially for the labor stuff, but who, who knows? But I mean, that, that is, uh. I mean, we're talking about the same things in Massachusetts, like going over their head. Like we got to go to the state house. You got to yeah. pass. I mean, so I look at Fall a, River. Yeah. I look at Fall River as a great example of having to go in over their head because, you know, nothing nothing happens there until the feds are involved. You know what I mean? There's yeah. always going to be situations where, for one reason or another, through dereliction or abdication or any other any other you know excuse, that the job is not getting done. And someone who's in a position to take corrective action needs to be brought in and, you know, it needs to happen. It can't just linger indefinitely and and uh, be allowed to fester. So that's that's great to hear that you're seeing. You know, I mean, not great to hear, but it's it's comforting to hear that mass <laughs> is dealing with a lot of the same challenges. I just and wonder, I look, too, like because yeah. we're looking at an environment now with the, these MSOs, Cureleaf, Trueleaf, Verano. You know, GTI, a lot of them are leveraged up. They have a lot of debt. Their market, their market price is dropping every day, both for their product and their stock price. Mm -hmm. uh, so everything's down on them. Uh, their interest payments have gone up because interest rates are going up. So, you know, they're all debted up. And their only real exit plan, I think, is like big tobacco coming in and buying them out. Yeah, And I don't think that's going to happen for a long time. Um, and I think we may have a point in the states where, you know, we're already seeing it. Jobs are now being lost in Massachusetts. I don't know about Connecticut because you only have four of them, you know, four cultivators. But Massachusetts, they're cutting jobs. And I think this is the trend nationwide in cannabis is that jobs are going to continue to be cut. And it's yeah. going to get worse and worse for this industry. And then we're going to have more problems with supply and demand, just like we are seeing with your your demand, you know, supply and demand issue in the and the medical I think there may be an opportunity to push a lot of new things that would never have happened at the state house of Massachusetts to like totally change the industry to even like go like a main model in some respects, especially for medical cannabis. Do you think that's even possible in the state of Connecticut? Or do you think that they're so far gone on what they're doing right now that, that there's no chance of that? I don't think they're so far gone. Um, I don't know. We may we may differ on this. I don't think we're so far gone. I think that 
we've trended in the wrong direction for a couple of years now, um, but I'm cautiously optimistic that getting the attention of the right folks in the Senate and the House, you just have to shake up a couple of people, get a couple of co-sponsors and like, you know, much like with journalism momentum, politician momentum is much the same way. And if something is popular to the constituents and it's reasonable and it makes sense, um, you know, that's good. And Connecticut postures quite a bit on wanting small business to thrive and, and all of those things. So I always say, you know, you have to kind of show what's in it for them. And the state of Connecticut has, has very much speculated and projected out tax revenue. Um, but I don't know that we wouldn't be able to, as a state, pull that revenue from ways like Maine's caregiver program and things like that, right? You can do it the right way Absolutely. and still balance the state budget off of some reasonable taxes without destroying the program. Um, so I don't know. That's my stance. But there's a lot of work to be done, you know, and if the same old voices keep showing up and lobbyists and and of course, there will be a lot of special interest groups that show up with money. So you're going to be you know, it's, it's a challenge. It's an uphill battle for sure. Um, but I, I think there's hope. I, th I, I, like I think that. we're so fresh that we can do it. We're new. You know, we yeah. can still do this. Even Massachusetts, well, I think there's hope. It, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Kristen. It, it really depends if people show up. If people, like, it's possible. I think it's possible in Massachusetts. I think a lot of people are missing that we have an opportunity to really fix a lot of the issues at, not at the even like not at the commission level because I think that they're so blind. I'm talking about going over their heads. The state house, the governor. It's Kristen thinks it's possible. What do you think, Lou? In Connecticut, is is that kind of dream impossible? Is, well, is, I'll is, I'll preface my response by saying that Connecticut probably more so than just about any place in the country outside of our nation's capital is completely and totally obsessed with public image being paramount and protecting that perception and to to what you said earlier mike you know we connecticut is we're, we're kind of in a little bit of a time lag right we are the the peak of green rush mountain so um there it's a question of perverse incentives right that the state is incentivized to prop up these msos to show that we have fertile ground here you know, if it didn't work out for you in Oregon, in Arizona, in, you know, wherever on the West Coast, come on out to Connecticut. You know, we'll we're, make it we're, work. Yeah, yeah, we're still we're, we're still uh, dealing with the, the latent prohibition and uh, prohibitionist minded tendencies of a lot of the boomer and, you know, plus population. So we do have, you know, dispensaries down here. I haven't been to a, a mass dispensary in years, but. Uh, I stopped into a local one for the first time in a couple of years down here over the weekend and it's unrecognizable. You know, the perimeter is basically loaded up with touch screens. You got bearded dudes milling around trying to see if anybody needs help. Um, and then you're like kind of forced into this velvet rope uh, bank line where, you know, you, you get what you ordered at the kiosk and you pay your money and only then are you allowed to leave. And only then are you allowed to look at the product that you just bought. You have no idea. You were just handed like, you know, a bag with whatever inside. You don't, <laughs> you know, so it's like a trust game. That's yeah, familiar. And, and, that sounds like every store in Massachusetts, basically. OK. All right. Almost. So, yeah, I, I mean, mean there that, might be a couple, but yeah. So that's in service to all the, the NIMBYs and the folks who are like, oh, God, it's cannabis. It's terrible. And we have to make sure that it's set up like a bank vault, um, you know. 
So in terms of whether or not it can be better, I think, you know, Connecticut has some legislators who do understand the challenges here and do get it. There is a structure in place, a structure that, you know, you talk about going above the, the regulator. Unfortunately, the, the complicity in the regulatory capture here in Connecticut does go all the way to the top, which is, again, why I bring up like a Fall River type scenario, right. because sometimes I think that's what it's going to take. You know, we're, we're in a market here where the state gets to pick winners and losers. We don't have, you know, traditional American free market capitalism. We don't have a situation where if you can, you know, jump through some reasonable hoops and pay a reasonable application fee, you can get a license, you can open up a business, and the market can decide whether you succeed or fail based on how good of a job you do or don't do, which is a reasonable expectation for any industry, I think. Um, and, and in the captured markets, Connecticut sort of being the standard bearer these days, that's just not how it works. Um, all of the first, even the first social equity licensees are all people who have, have some degree of connection to industry, to lobbyists, to MSOs. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's not a situation where we have truly open and equitable access to the market. So I think until we get to a point like Kristen referenced the Maine caregiver program, Maine has a very, uh, wonderful tier of their license structure where I think you're limited to like 500 square feet. I think that's the cutoff for the smallest uh, flower. I believe it's for flowering. Yep. And I think you have a little more for non, you know, for the veg. Yes. Right. But it's, I mean, you're clearly, you're not going to be running out of a warehouse, you know what I mean? No. So, so I think if we can, if we can get something like that, there's always going to be a market for mids, right? There's always going to be that Bud Light, Miller Light consumer exactly. who just wants to get some cheap stuff and have a good Friday night, whatever they want to do. And, and they want to go to gonna... a store. Some people right. like stores and some people like to have a delivery right. service. I go and to then a there's main... delivery, there's yeah. direct to I consumer. go to a main caregiver and, and, and I just, I had him on the show last night. It's just amazing. I, I can't explain it unless you experience it but there's thousands of guys like him in maine they're they're all legal they're all licensed and i you know i was asking him last night how long did it take you to get open and licensed and he went through an extensive process and it was like six months and i'm talking to other folks from maine who are caregivers and they're saying like you know it's between 30 days to six months basically depending on how you do it and what you get done but in massachusetts we're talking three to five years yeah. You know, and y'all and, have a long process. With, yeah. yeah. So, so, and, and people talk about social equity in Massachusetts. Like if you don't fix the three to five years, there isn't social equity. I don't care if there's a fund for it. It, I mean, I get the fund is going to help some of the folks that Lou just mentioned, but what do you guys think about the whole social equity kind of movement? I, I mean, I like the idea. I want to help a lot of the guys who have spent like, you know, raised a lot of money and they're bankrupt and they still don't get to open. And they're good people I know who are working class. You know, they're they're hustlers. They're not right. purely. They're not truly right. And they're not getting to open. So, like, I want to see something else if they don't get to open. Like, they somehow get a license, like a caregiver, like they have in Maine. Um, but I mean, what do you guys think about this whole social equity movement? I guess at this point, I think it's one of those. <sighs> amazing intentions and in so many places, bad execution. Like Connecticut, for example, we did a census to find a disproportionately impacted areas for folks that were impacted by the war on drugs. But what they used was not only incarceration data, but they used income data 
during COVID while folks were laid off. And so you ended up having these very wealthy shoreline towns that for some random tweak of data that were showing up as disproportionately impacted areas. And that was just absurd. Um, it, so that's, you know, exhibit A of, you know, good intention, bad execution. Of course, you know, with beyond a shadow of a doubt, I think that people that were arrested or incarcerated for any cannabis related crimes in the past should have first dibs. And we can't have people sitting in prison while we have, you know, forgive me for this, but a bunch of frat boys making millions and billions of dollars every year because, you know, it, this is legal now. But at the same time, in Connecticut in particular, we've set it up where a social equity candidate had to be an equity joint venture. So it's not truly their business. They're partnered up with an investor or someone out of state or an MSO. And so I, I kind of struggle to articulate this because I think it was a very, very good idea that somehow got manipulated by the wrong people. And now it's just not being implemented right. Yeah, and I don't know I, how to yeah. fix that part, but the caregiver thing, right? That gives everyone a fair angle. How is there yeah, equity yeah. when I think it was like $3 million you had to throw down to get a dispensary right. license? For like, yeah. yeah. The caregiver what kind of equity is that? Yeah, yeah. The caregiver model in Maine is social equity. I think that's what we should, it should like. If, yeah. If, if it's not a caregiver model, there is no social equity. Is I think it has to be like the, like we got to lay it down because. Massachusetts, we have caregivers, but you can't find one because they don't allow them to be for profit. Like they can't sell to dispensaries. They can't sell to customers. It's like it's oh, supposed to be like a ch charity thing. It just doesn't work. And I don't even think people even know about it. They, they like changed it. There's a limit on it. It's, it's really messed up. They need to do what they do in Maine. Let them have a business. Let them actually, you know, make money on it. I mean, this is ridiculous. If people want to help patients, we need a lot more growers. Uh, we had a few comments uh, come in. Uh, one said, greetings, common people. <laughs> oh. That we are. Yeah. And then uh, Reefer Madness is still alive and strong in Connecticut was another comment from YouTube. And then uh, uh, someone influential, I think he's the SSDP top person Jason. there. Yeah, Jason Ortiz wrote. He's the executive director of Students for Sensible Drug Policy and a Connecticut local as well. He said, would the governor be who would appoint the omnibusman? Um, per this bill, there is no stipulation as far as who would appoint it. Um, but I, I guess no would that. be I mean, my it wouldn't hope. be a governor. The answer to that role. would be no, if, if I had any say in the matter. <laughs> so I guess appointment, right? Like there's, I, I always like joke about this, like clarity of language. So being appointed to something is like kind of like as a, Disclaimer, I'm a Democrat and I'm on the Democratic Town Committee. So I was appointed to a committee because the mayor kind of said, like, I would like Kristen to be on this. And that's just sort of a, for lack of a better word, a connections thing, the crap we don't like, but it's very low level in its schools and no one else wanted it. Um, but that's besides the point. So appointment, no, we would not want the governor to handpick a friend and appoint them to a position. Now, whether it would be someone that would ultimately roll up under the purview of the governor's office because it's a state government role, I don't know if that would necessarily be avoidable. Well, it's it's DECD or whatever, the Department of Economic uh, 
development uh, or something. I, yeah, something like that. So it's not within DCP, but ultimately, I mean, it all does roll up that way. Mike, I wanted to circle back real quick uh, to your question about social equity. Yes. My thinking on this has kind of evolved somewhat. I'm of a mind now where I just feel like anyone who wants a path to be, uh, you know, involved in the regulated market should be able to get one. Uh, but it starts with a willingness to kind of uh, concede that the the oligarchy model of, you know, the four MSOs and whatnot is 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 not, you know, was not the way and that we need to be willing to kind of spread the money around a little bit and spread the opportunity around. So I feel like if somebody's, you know, if, if there's a caregiver who's sort of growing and supplying a small community of their own patients locally or something like that, um, make it as easy as possible. Remove as many barriers to entry uh, as possible for that person to get to the market. If they're already largely uh, operational in a way that's working for them, then you know just let them know what they need to do to be compliant with the regulations and you know to to prove those things. Um, you, you look back in, in the history of the medical program, even some of the medical dispensaries, uh, uh, Caring Nature in Waterbury, Connecticut, was one who was was cited, I, I think, as recently as like 2016 or something like that for just, yeah, we don't we don't feel like being compliant. We don't feel like, you know, keeping, you know, a- adequate business records. Uh, Math is to, hard. Yeah. So it's, it's not like anyone has figured it out. No one state has gotten this right. And we're in, like you said, you know, Mike, we're in a position to make things better. And I think the way that we do that is by cherry picking some of the stuff that has worked the best in markets like Maine, in markets like Michigan, in other places where, you know, little bits and pieces uh, can be brought together and cobbled into something that's kind of more than the sum of its parts. I think uh, the real challenge is, is, is breaking out of this sort of structure of regulatory capture that the state is in right now, because there's so many sort of handshakes that were done and deals that were made and sort of promises made to investors and guarantees on return and whatnot. Um, you know, that, that has to be sort of, that has to kind of run its course and it has to be seen as sort of a demarcation point from there <clears throat> to sort of the, the 2.0 version of whatever this looks like. Uh, and, th- and that could get ugly. I mean, Kristen, Kristen made reference to Theraplant, which is uh, uh, SPAC, uh, uh, Green Rose Holding Company is is the parent company who also owns uh, uh, something out in Arizona. I can't remember the name of it, but um, you know, there's currently a, a war going on between the investors and the board for you know wresting control of those assets. And like you said, if these companies are even some of the smaller players in the MSO space are going to be bleeding out, private equity and everybody else is going to be salivating over you know carving up those assets right. and 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 how they get divvied up and who gets the license you know what sort of concessions are made uh from from whoever comes in to do that cleanup in terms of getting the license or being able to flip that to somebody else there's there's a lot of intricacies in this and it's a lot you know but but that side of it doesn't really have a a a practical application again from the patient and consumer perspective all we want is variety in the market you know choice for people and accurate product labeling and truth and advertising. One of the other big problems that we face down here is uh, the undisclosed preemptive remediation that impacts virtually every product that's on dispensary shelves down here that patients and consumers, they don't even know about. People who ask about that in a dispensary, they get shown the door. They get told, you know, no, we're not going to talk about this. We're not going to be addressing this. Please, you know, get out of here, basically. Um, You know, there's a lot that needs to be done. And a lot of that is just kind of looking in the mirror and, a willingness to reflect and be honest with ourselves and say, Hey, you know what? 
we wanted Connecticut to be a gold star sort of shining example of what cannabis markets could look like. And it didn't quite work out that way. But like Kristen said, there is still hope, but it is contingent upon a willingness to sort of eat a little bit of crow and say, yeah, we screwed up some things. Maybe the fake strain names aren't the best idea. Connecticut is the only state in the nation where we don't actually call, you know, sour diesel, sour diesel. It has to be given some fake made up pharmaceutical sounding name that requires like a, a Rosetta stone to translate what you're actually what you're getting. Uh, there, there's so much, you know, ludicrous yes. stuff like that, that I'm not even trying to dunk on the people who came up with these ideas. I'm just saying we tried it. It didn't work as expected. Let's pivot. Let's not be afraid to reflect and pivot and move forward in a way that makes sense in a way that's going to be inclusive and truly equitable. That's what we're hoping for. But it's such a, it feels like pie in the sky. Sometimes it really I feels it almost in, unattainable, but I hope it happens because I think it needs to happen. It's just so it would be so good. It would be such a good thing for the citizens, for the workers, for the people who want to be in business, and most of all, for the patients and consumers. And you know who else it would be good for? The politicians and yeah. these and these you know regulatory bodies. People would you know, love have, them. People yeah. would be like, "Yeah, you guys kick ass." Like I, I think they're afraid they're going to look like crap. Well, they're going to look like crap if they don't do something. Like they that you know. Right. And, you know, and whether it's it's good, bad or indifferent, I don't want to say popular because that kind of has like negative connotations. But when the new legislative session kicked off in January, there were quite a few cannabis related bills that were on that list in Connecticut. And they range in variety from absolutely absurd to really, really good. Um and, you know, some of these will go to committee, some of them will fizzle away. But the fact that we have so many different representatives and, and some of them were Senate bills that are even willing to talk about these issues is, is very favorable. Um, and what, was I, the, what was some uh, of the good ones that you, you recall any of them? Yeah, you know, I think the ombudsman one was really good. Obviously, we have a little bit of close attachment to that one. That was pretty Love good. Um, there's one about looking at cannabis lounges, which I don't hate. You know, I saw Colorado is looking at that. New Jersey is looking at that. I it's don't happening this year idea. one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the that's lounge really... thing is happening. So we we can either get out in front of it or we can get knocked over by it. I didn't yep. mean to interrupt you, Kristen. Please go. No, on. I think that's a good one. <laughs> um, there are some related to release of incarceration persons and further expungement of crime. Now, Connecticut did really good stuff with the Clean Slate Act. So we did erase simple possession charges for, I, I'm not going to get the stats right, but quite a few people. And Connecticut did get some national recognition for that. And then there's even more crimes that are non-cannabis related that will be erased from folks' records moving forward this year. But we can go even further with that and go beyond the simple cannabis possession um you know and anybody that's still doing time in prison should unequivocally be released so any bills up that are looking at that i think are phenomenal and, you know and i get a list in my inbox i wish i could tick them all <laughs> off but i want to say there's like a dozen right now a couple yeah. of them are listen i already said this i'm you know team one team so the other team's got a few up that are a little bit more negative and kind to you know regressive ones would be the yes word. ones i don't like right there are some republicans yeah. that put ones up that want to in you know i've referred to it basically they want to bring back stop and frisk and they want to be able mm. to say oh i smell cannabis on you and yeah. do whatever yeah. it is that they want to do i mean i am unequivocally against that one we cannot give that i don't back. think that's coming back no. i don't I, I, my spirits and none of that stuff is coming back but yeah. but you know 
can any of the good stuff go forward? That's the uh, something bigger question. Something else that I think is is really interesting in terms of bills that are pending right now is uh, Kristen mentioned there was a requirement to have 250,000 square feet of canopy uh, before the adult use market could legally launch. Uh, You know, that was in the law that was in the regs. Um, So Theraplant having these problems, I don't know if it's impacted, you know, I, I don't know about the tangible impact on their cultivation, you know, what they're turning out, you know, day, day in, day out. But, uh, one of the ideas, one of the bills is we have a, we have a community of licensed hemp farmers in the state that have long felt aggrieved that they were not grandfathered into, uh, you know, THC, that they were not allowed to do that. And, you know, some of them are, are positioning themselves right now as kind of a turnkey solution to the problem of Theraplant's collapse. Uh, hey, you know, we're geared up, we're ready to go, you know, come on in, check us out, make sure that everything looks good and then, you know, turn us loose. Um, and that would speak directly again to the story that you ran at the top about the supply issues and the availability issues. But it does, like I, like I said, it requires loosening that iron grip and, you know, maybe your your six month window of exclusivity on the adult use market where four producers control 100 percent of that market. Maybe that's not going to be as fruitful as you thought it was. But guess what? As of July, all adults in the state of Connecticut can home grow legally. Patients can already do it. And as of July 1st, all adults are, are going to be able to do that. So you're already, you know, you're already on a slippery slope in terms of maximizing that window of first mover advantage that they've managed to kind of artificially extend but uh you know getting the hemp farmers involved maybe finding a way to bridge that gap if it can be done right i think is something worth considering i think it's uh you know you got to get creative with solutions at this point and we do have to be thinking outside the box we can't just be waiting for someone to say well this is what we did in colorado this is what we did in illinois no i mean it's got to work for the people that are here it has to be viable to get into this business it has to be you know worth it for someone to invest and to get into this and to do everything right and to play by the rules and go by the book and, you know, be able to continue for years and years and, ha- and have a, a business that's serving, you know, creating jobs and, you know, doing things that, that we want to see happening here in Connecticut. So that's another one that, that I think is a, worth considering. And I'm, I'm going to be following the discussion on that for sure. You know, the comment committee said, uh, I think they'd shut it all down before they open it up to everyone. <laughs> Yeah, that's I mean, that, that is the state we live in. Yeah. <laughs> that's a cynicism that's out there. I don't blame you in a way for thinking that, but we we all need to think more positive. Like, we can actually get things done if uh, people get involved, not just us three. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and great segue, kind of to, like, I, relatively unpopular opinions sometimes, but when you're positioning someone who is elected, they're ultimately balancing the state's budget. So the what's in it for them is often tax revenue. Then that can be icky or it cannot. So if you can do some math to show them where a caregiver program where X amount of folks are paying a reasonable amount of money is just as profitable as four people paying an astronomical amount of money, you've sold it to them in a reasonable mathematical way that they don't feel foolish standing in capital chambers arguing on your behalf. And then at that point, they can get passionate and emotional and have data to back it up. Um, so sometimes it's gross to have to think about the money, but that's just to some reality. degree the reality because they're not the United Way. They're not, 
entirely all good people get elected, but they need to stay elected to do good things. So, you know, they've got to kind of, I don't want to say play both sides, but like find that balance where things are reasonable. Um, So I always say to do that. So I I don't think that it's impossible or that they'd throw the whole program away. It just needs to be positioned in a way where it's a win-win. That's what it needs to be. I'm rambling. That's it. Yeah, no, (laughs) I think that's a great point. And I think there may be also an opportunity in some of the states when the revenue starts dropping. Because if businesses like start closing, revenue tax revenue is going down like it's yeah tax yeah. revenue in these businesses are isn't always going to go up and no. i feel like massachusetts leaves 75 percent of the tax money off the books it's all it's all going to the illicit market or main <laughs> like it's not like they're only getting like one out of four dollars and but, we won't but, be any it- different yeah, Connecticut's response to that, Mike, was to hire what, like five tax auditors just for cannabis compliance. That that was the move to counter that down here. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, it's you still not going to bring in the money. Right, it's right. You, you alluded to this earlier, Mike, about how it can it can be a thing to make politicians look good. Right. Yeah. If you make a if you make a good move, you got people on the populist left. You got people on the populist right. They all sort of come together and understand, look. They, you know, the, the whole like culture war thing, the pitting us against each other, that's that's noise. And if we can find, you know, sensible and creative solutions and ideas to move this forward in a way that's going to work for people and not just for corporations, then any politician that wants to, to get behind that and boost that effort and really have it be seen in, a, in supporting a populist cause in a way that is, you know, clearly in service to the people or at least less in service to the corporations than it currently is. I think there's a real opportunity for anyone, uh, particularly, you know, newer folks who might be trying to make a name, like Kristen said, stay elected. But, you know, we're, we're fortunate to to have gained attention from, you know, from some of the leadership on some of these ideas that we've been talking about. So I think I, I do get I do get cynical every once in a while, and I do kind of have thoughts like that commenter had. Uh, right. But then I remind myself that you know the opportunity is there; it's, it's waiting, sort of, for for us to do our part to hold up our end of it. And if we're you know you can't really complain if you haven't done that much, if you haven't tried to engage in the process in good faith and met in the middle and really kind of checked your ego at the door and focused on the outcomes, focused on the goals that you're trying to achieve and work with the politicians in that way. Now, maybe you gain traction, maybe you don't, maybe you get the runaround from a lot of them like we have, but you know, every once in a while you hit a diamond in the rough, you're not going to win them all. Uh, you know, but, but maybe you can get some good things done. Maybe you can find ways to, to make things better in your area because that the, that's why I'm in this in the first place is because I saw people, patients, who just by virtue of the fact that they are patients, you know, have some sort of at a minimum discomfort and more likely prolonged suffering. And I don't like seeing them get effed around. You know, I don't like seeing them get taken for a ride or treated like cattle to have value extracted from them. And that is the message that I think politicians can latch on to and, you know, hopefully actually believe in that, you know, in that sentiment. But that's that resonates that resonates with people and even if they're not cannabis people you just hear about you know hey this is a group trying to help out other people it sounds good it has it, you know it 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 plays as they say <laughs> and sometimes it just takes time too like i can remember going into one of the more more not i would say he was really i don't think his um 
it was a state rep's office way back in the day. And I don't think his hang up was so much that he was a reefer mad. I think that his hang up was he was the number one cop supporter. And law enforcement didn't like it. And how was he going to explain it to law enforcement? That's really what I realized it came down to with this, this rep. And I kept going back. And I remember the first time they were like, um, they thought I was with, a, they thought I was like with a professional organization, like a lobbyist, like, you know, or even like a, you know, a professional cannabis group or something. Yeah. Trade and when they found out I was just a, a patient, like more grassroots. Yeah. they were like, Oh, you know? And then when I came back, they were like, Oh, you know what I mean? Like, so like, sometimes I just need to get to know you and, and getting to know you is yeah. like sometimes a second or third time. And that's it. Like there's some, we're not talking about like hang out with them every day for our, a year. No, like right. a second or third time, you know, uh, and, and to have it be pleasant, like you ask for something, you don't get it. You come back, you're still polite, asking for it again. Like sometimes that works. It's like they respect the process. They're like, and a lot of times I feel like we don't realize that when they see someone come back, they know it really matters to them. Yeah. You know, I think that's just it. Right. And like, sometimes it's easy to sit there, but like, these are just people like the three of us that for one reason or another were either asked to run for office or they decided to run for office and now they are where they are. Um, you know, so they're just everyday people that you run into the grocery store. They just happen to be in a position where they can write and vote on bills that directly impact our day-to-day -day lives. And that whole point of getting to know them, I mean, that's just human nature. You get to know somebody. And I just think that's so important. And sometimes I'll tease my friends. I've, you know, like it, don't chase them. Don't yell at them. Don't send the super strongly worded emails out of the gate, right? Because how are you going to respond to something yeah. like that? <laughs> I yeah. can see Lou laughing. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and they have so many bills and pieces of legislation and memos flying at them every single day that some will resonate because it's something that resonates with them. But they do not know what's important to us until we let them know. And if you let them know and I let them know and Lou lets them know and like the guy in the comments lets them know, all of a sudden, all they're hearing is, you know, HB number 553, you know. And so it just then it piques their interest and they're bored at home looking up stuff about cannabis on their phone. And that snowball happens with one person who's now sitting in a side office in the Capitol building with their buddy having coffee, be like, Hey, have you seen those three on the internet that are always talking about <laughs> weed? Like for real, yep. it yeah, really it happens. happens like that. It's, it's humbling. It's humbling, especially when I, you know, it, that's been my biggest failing. I'm just going to be real. My biggest failing has been in terms of communication and messaging and thinking that because my information is, uh, is, is so robust that I could, you know, summarily browbeat people into, you know, <laughs> coming around, you know, just by virtue of the truth and the facts alone. And the reality is the world doesn't work that way. And that's why, uh, you know, having somebody, like Kristen that I get to collaborate with on this stuff is so great because she, you know, she has an intrinsic understanding of this. I take his it, data and sweet talk it and sugarcoat it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it really is. It it's, it's been such a, you know, I'm, I'm not coming with a sledgehammer anymore. You know what I mean? I have like a very diverse toolbox now and they're not just blunt objects. Sometimes <laughs> you need a sledgehammer though. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Everyone, depends on, while. depends yeah. on the audience. Yeah, yeah. Shout yeah. out to Caleb in Vermont. Are, Sometimes you need a sledgehammer. One of my buddies was like, uh, back in the day, he's a, like a real business guy. And he said, you know, 
so he was talking about a specific person that we both knew that was really smart, but like you would not want to be in an argument with him. Let's just put it that way. And he's like, he's like, you know, every company needs one of those guys or every mm -hmm. like nonprofit organization. And usually it's just like, we got this guy, you don't want to deal with them. So don't deal with them. So don't get on our bad side and you don't have to deal with them. And like, then just put them away. Like you just, he's I was say, like, we're going to play nice four times before yeah. we bring out the yeah. big guns. You yeah. know? We wheel out <laughs> Hannibal Lecter in the straight jacket. He's back in the closet. You don't have to talk to him anymore. <laughs> like, all right, we tried this the nice way. You asked for this. <laughs> sometimes I like to be that guy too. I, I enjoy that sometimes, but it's, you know, what's hard is when you have to turn it back. You're like, oh, it's that tandem my, that works. so many times I've had to apologize for these guys, especially when they like, I've had times when I'm hammering the politician and then, then the next election, they come back like for the first time, they're like, this happened to me. He, the state <laughs> Senator was like, you were right. I'm so sorry. And then like, I feel bad. Like, I'm like, like, it's weird. It's, I don't know. No, don't feel bad. And honestly, getting passionate mm -hmm. is one thing getting inappropriate is different, right? Like yeah. they get real freaking passionate with each other in their own meetings. It's like they get real, you know? So like it, a constituent or a patient or an advocate getting really passionate at them, that's, I think that's reasonable. That's showing that like you're intense, you're serious, you mean business. You're not just like, well, if you don't mind, could you please maybe consider looking at this? <laughs> uh, Caleb Teske's listening. He said, I need a Kristen to soften my blows. Yeah. yeah. Like we all do. I'm for hire. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's made all the difference. Uh, someone wrote, that's you, Mike, LOL. <laughs> they know me. I don't know who that <laughs> Facebook user was that wrote, wrote that. I I have my my partner too, my, Carmelita, who uh, says I can't do everything for you. <laughs> Sometimes you have to do it on your own. I know I can do it on my own, but it's just quicker and easier if I ask you first. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Delegation, we'll call it. <laughs> she doesn't like that. Partnership. Partnership. Yeah. It depends. Playing people depends. to their strengths—that's what we'll call it. That's Let everyone right play word. to their strengths. Yeah. Not delegate. Yeah. So we're having a great conversation. My name is Mike Crawford. This is the Young Jerks. If it's the first time you're listening, we have two great guests, Kristen Souza and Lou Rinaldi. Uh, we're talking about cannabis policy in Ca Connecticut. Connecticut. Stanford. Do you guys, uh, WWE headquarters, have you ever been over there? Do you know anything about that? Driven by it on 95 a million times. Yeah. The, the chrome and glass building. Uh, that's about the extent of my involvement there. <laughs> that's the only thing at time I've seen it too, is driving by yeah. 95, but yeah. I, I don't know. I have a thing about the WWE. I, I know some people have been involved in it and, uh, yeah, I have a love hate thing with it too. So <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, you know, I give people a crap all the time for watching too much professional sports on te television. I'm a jock. I still watch it a little bit, but mostly not. But then I'll, then I'll say, you know, that's trash watching that NFL every week. But, <laughs> But there's nothing then, and then they get mad. But I say, you know, there's nothing wrong with myself watching WWE Raw for like two or three hours, though. Every week, it's different. It's probably worse. I don't know. <laughs> One of my best friends, and I mean, it was a long time ago. I'm going to date myself, but like loved watching. So we watch. Was it WWE then or WWF? I don't even know. But yeah, so like I I watched it a long time ago. Like you know, back in Me the day. Me too. Me too. It has been a minute. 
So we don't uh, have a whole lot of uh, landmarks in Connecticut, so that's one of our big attractions here. We got that. Oh, I imagine. I mean, uh, yeah, that and Foxwoods. We have Mohegan Sun too. Uh, Mystic, uh, Mystic Pizza. Yeah, we I went to Mystic. I went to Mystic with a girl way back in the day. Yeah. Okay. To check because yeah, of that, that movie, she wanted to go. She saw I the movie. And wanted to go to. They have an aquarium there. Yeah, Mystic's cool. Mystic's a it cool is. little girl. It is a nice little town. Yeah. Connecticut's nice. It's not bad. No. No. It is nice. So, uh, speaking of uh, Connecticut cannabis and the policies and just even in general, if there's anything, do you guys want to bring up anything else? Is there anything that we didn't talk about tonight that you really want to bring up tonight? And we both go silent. <laughs> well, right. I think, I think what I, what I always try to say is if, if this conversation has resonated with you and you know, if you're a medical patient in Connecticut, if you're just a, a cannabis consumer in Connecticut, if you're someone who's interested in how, you know, the intersection of cannabis and politics and, you know, affecting positive change uh, that, that benefits people, then get in touch with us, you know, reach out. Uh, we're, you know, Kristen is uh, super active on many social media networks. I'm still pretty active on Reddit and, uh, and LinkedIn, and I'm kind of sort of back on Twitter at this point. Um, you know, but get in touch with us and let us know, you know, if you've got, you know, a particular skill set that you want to bring to bear to help us out with some of this work. We're always looking for for more folks that want to join uh, and, and, and get this thing moving in, in a real positive way. Continue to get that media coverage focusing on the things that matter and not so much about uh, whether or not there was a long enough line at the opening of adult use and, you know, optics kind of stuff like that that really doesn't make a big difference in the lives of people. So get in touch. We're here. You probably know how to, you know, just, just search us up. We're easy to find. We don't hide. <laughs> <laughs> no. And that's a good segue into, I think um, you, I, Mike, you were saying before, it can't just be the three of us. And, and it's not, you know, there's a whole handful of folks that get involved, but in advocacy and circles of folks that are getting involved, maybe politically, you tend to start to see the same faces. And yeah. I know there are so many people on the perimeter that I don't know if they're nervous or they think it's harder than it looks or it's more time consuming and they just can't handle it. It's That's another snowball, right? Start by writing a letter to your rep. Go to your planning and zoning meeting in town. They might even have them virtually. So you can just log into a Zoom like the third Thursday of every month. And the more involved you get, like I can just speak for my city. I, I live in Middletown. It's a relatively large city. Our lieutenant governor lives here. We've got two state representatives and a state senator. Simply going to planning and zoning meetings, I have access to a decent chunk of the Connecticut delegation. Um, so sometimes people overthink it and you'll run into these folks just at a very local and municipal level. And that's how you start to learn how to become more involved. And like you said, becoming a face that they recognize and a, a voice that they recognize, it just sort of gives you that authenticity or authority or whatever when you want to speak to them about something that's important to you. So my little awesome. plug for civic engagement. Yeah. Awesome. I really appreciate having both of you here tonight. Um, we're starting to do some stuff in Massachusetts too. There's uh, a new group that Danny... Um, He's a whistleblower and worked at some of the big MSOs. He was a friend of Lorna McMurray. Uh, he started a group called Join Mass. Oh, actually, wait, no, it's called the Mass 
Cannabis Workers Union. I keep screwing this one up, but I think people should definitely join it. Um, I would suggest you guys join. I would love you to be a part of that group. It's a Mass Cannabis Workers Union Facebook group. Uh, we're doing some organizing, and I think you guys could be very helpful to our, us in Massachusetts, too, in that group. Um, we're also doing um, an award show for workers in May at Davis Square in Somerville, Massachusetts. May 7th is a Sunday night. I hope you guys can come to that, too. I don't know if you travel, if you come up to Massachusetts. Are you going to New England Cannabis Convention? I am. You are? Yes. What about Lou? Do you travel? Uh, I do. I do travel. I'm, you know, I'm generally open to, uh, to checking things out. So yeah, that sounds the, the awards, the worker awards thing. That sounds really intriguing. I'd like to learn more about that. May 7th. We're going to do that. So hopefully, yeah, we'll, we'll discuss that a lot more. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely going to the, uh, what is it? New England cannabis awards event too. They have their own awards event. Are you talking about that. the knee can event? Yes. Yes. At the yeah. Heinz Center. Now I'm confusing people because I'm talking about two awards. We're doing <laughs> one, and and our friends at New England Cannabis Convention are doing one. Uh, we're nominated for a bunch of awards. I think we all are. I, you're nominated too, right? We are. I saw all yeah. of us on there. Yeah. Congratulations. Congratulations to us all. <laughs> Cheers. That's a good event. Um, I, I think people should definitely check it out. Uh, the awards show too. You'll meet a lot of people there. But uh, we're doing our own awards again on May 7th. So I hope people uh, check that out. Tickets are on sale. We don't even have anything announced yet. But I just want people to put it on their calendar and, and be prepared. I uh, think that's great. I'm absolutely yeah. going to put that on the calendar. May 7th, you said. May 7th, Sunday. First, first Sunday in May. And right I on. am in Mass a lot. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's in Somerville, too. It's a perfect location. It's a small little theater in Davis Square. It's like two dispensaries oh, right, right next door to it. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it'll be oh, nice. nice. Yeah. Very cool. You've been added to my iPhone, sir. Oh, excellent. <laughs> We're confirming. I hope other people are listening or planning on going as well. I think we got some more comments too. Maybe we'll post some of those up. Uh, uh, Julie just wrote, I shall be there too. Right on. Uh, I am for Vermont. And um, I don't even know. I, actually, I'm posting comments that are coming in from other countries that i don't even know what they mean we have international viewers tonight yeah. <laughs> julie's got it circled the may 7th awesome nice. uh so i want to thank you both for being here tonight uh again where can people find you if they want to hook up with you in connecticut like i know you said facebook twitter do you have handles or websites or anything like that you want to plug yeah, sure. Um, I'm classic Kristen with a K. So it's K-L-A-S-S-I-C underscore Kristen. Um, also, Sugarleaf CT Boutique is my store. Yeah, great place, by the way. If you're if you're ever in the area, check it out. Uh, I'm on Twitter as uh, CTMMP Data. That's probably the easiest way to, to get a hold of me these days. So yeah, and I find you on Twitter. I like your info. Are you again, I'm glad you said that because you aren't on on Twitter as much, and I want you to be. So I hope you are. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's, asking it's... you to stick on Twitter, Lou. <laughs> I like, saw I'm a trying. post like yeah. it lives. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> I'm trying, Mike. I'm trying. It's uh it's a big balancing act, you know, with uh with all these different platforms and and trying to get the trying to get the balance right, both in terms of the uh the presence and the messaging and also, you know, your own mental health and, and keeping it all in a harmonious cycle. So, oh, I know about that. 
Yep. Yep. So that's, I mean, yeah. I mean, Twitter, Twitter generally has, uh, has been a good, you know, certainly more discourse oriented than, uh, than some other platforms. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes, but yeah, that's for now, that's definitely a good place to get, to get in touch with both of us. Uh, easy way to, to reach out if you'd like to get involved or, or just chat us up about whatever we're here. <laughs> thank you so much, Lou Rinaldi and Kristen Souza. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, I want to thank everyone who's been listening and commenting online. Um, oh, wait, we also got some more comments. There we go. I'll post this one before we leave. I am also nominated for the Vermont activist, Julie writes, uh, judging for them right now. So I think you're getting some votes right now for the uh, award. <laughs> well, thank you. So My in goodness. full disclosure, I am assisting the director of education. So I will be in the room with the speakers. So come find me if you're going. Oh, really? You're doing the uh, NECAN awards? I'm thing? helping. I'm, I'm a worker bee. Yeah. I, I actually no- booked the first couple of those, like uh, maybe the first three of them. It was fun. Oh, wow. right, nice. right in the beginning, we didn't, had no idea what the hell we were doing. I, I was asking for directions. <laughs> on them. Like, I'm like, what the hell do you want? Do you want activists or do you want like people who want to be in the business? Because we couldn't even figure out like, like when those things started, it really, it was really new. <laughs> it was so new. It was so new. And I look at them now and I'm like, wow, look how far it's come. It's crazy. Like it's the first time it's coming to Connecticut, which is just kind of funny. Cause you can see like the difference, you know, just, you, you know what, you know what the vibe is. It's like the first time that you ever saw highway billboards with a website address on the East coast. You know what I mean? Yeah. It took like five years to after get California had it, you know, till you saw it out here. You know, we're always in that sort of, like I said, that lag time. And it's funny now because it's it's starting to happen around here, you know, for better and for worse. And it's just it's funny to see how it how it manifests in that uniquely sort of Connecticut kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It sure is. Uh, yeah. We're experienced a lot. I want to thank you so much. Thank you, Lou. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you. Uh, Thanks so we'll much, talk Mike. Soon. All right. Thank you so much. Have a good Have one. Great.